Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that make you wonder how and why they exist. And that's why I started this show. But sometimes, after releasing episodes, new information comes my way about some of these albums, and I want to pass that on to you as well. And as usual, I'm not here to make fun of these albums. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums Remastered. Today's episode, Van Morrison, The Authorized Bang Collection, Contractual Obligation Session. That's the original version of Twist and Shout, released on Atlantic Records in February of 1961, performed by the Top Notes. The song was written by Phil Medley and Burt Burns, and produced by Phil Spector. Burt Burns felt that Spector had ruined the song. A year later, Burns himself would produce Twist and Shout for the Isley Brothers. Though he or Burt Burns would be credited as Burt Russell, the song ended up peaking at number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100 and reaching number 2 on the R&B chart. Burt Burns started his songwriting career when he was already 31 years old. His first hit was a song called A Little Bit of Soap in 1961 with the Jarmels, reaching number 12. He even had a short-lived career as a solo artist, also in 1961, under yet another name, this time Russell Bird. Throughout the early 1960s, he co-wrote the hits Hang On Sloopy, Peace of My Heart, and Everybody Needs Somebody to Love, the latter of which he produced as well. He also produced the Drifters classic Under the Boardwalk in 1964, which would be a huge year for rock and roll. You know, all of us on the show are so darn sorry, and sincerely sorry, that this is the third and thus our last current show with the Beatles, because these youngsters from Liverpool, England, and their conduct over here not only as fine professional singers, but as a group of fine youngsters, will leave an imprint with everyone over here who's met him. And that goes for all of us on our show. The Beatles first appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show on February 9th, 1964. Their appearance had an estimated 73 million viewers, and at the time, that was a TV record. They appeared on the show for three consecutive Sundays, playing Twist and Shout on their final appearance. Eventually, their version would be the most successful version of Burns' song, hitting number two. The only song keeping it out of the number one spot? Can't buy me love. Following the success of the Beatles, other British bands like the Rolling Stones, the Dave Clark Five, and the Kinks started seeing success in America. The British invasion had begun. Now for a great new group from Belfast with an old standard, baby, please don't go. Here is, or here they are, anyhow, they are them. 
Them was an Irish band being marketed as part of the British invasion in 1964. The original lineup of Them consisted of Alan Henderson, Ronnie Milling, Billy Harrison, Eric Rixton, who would later go on to be in Thin Lizzy, and Van Morrison. Baby Please Don't Go was one of their earliest recordings for Decca Records and produced by Burt Burns. When they recorded it in October of 1964, Van Morrison was only 19 years old. The B-side was a Morrison original called Gloria, which, though it was a B-side, actually performed better on the charts, becoming a minor hit in the U.S. in 1965. Despite only peaking at number 93, Gloria took on a life of its own, becoming a staple for countless garage bands over the years. Gloria even received a Grammy Hall of Fame award in 1999. In 2004, Gloria was ranked at number 208 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Their biggest success in the U.S. would be with another Burt Burns original called Here Comes the Night. From May to June of 1966, them toured the United States. By the end of the tour, there was a money dispute with their manager, and soon after, they broke up. A year prior, Burns had started his own record label called Bang Records. Bang was founded with his Atlantic Records partners, with the label's name coming from the initials of each of their names, Burt Burns, Amit Erdogan, Nessie Erdogan, and Jerry Wexler. With his new label up and running, Burns had plans for Van Morrison. I spoke with Ryan H. Walsh about this. He's a musician and author of the book Astral Weeks, A Secret History of 1968. When them dissolved, he wanted to keep working with Van Morrison. So he arranged a session uh, where Van brought some new songs, and one of them was a brown-eyed girl. But Van was definitely not in charge of those sessions. And like he brought in all these session musicians and Van was kind of bewildered by the process. He'd only recorded with his mates, you know, from and then Bert kind of slaps it together with a psychedelic album cover and calls it Blow in Your Mind and just <laughs> puts it out as Van Morrison's first solo album. And Van is pretty upset about the packaging and the non-consulting. And <laughs> so Van and Bert Burns kind of start this relationship where they're constantly fighting. In the liner notes for the authorized bang sessions, Van Morrison wrote, If I had thought it was an album, I would have approached it a whole different way. Some of those tracks probably wouldn't have been on it. We probably would have left them off, because some of those songs were kind of filler to me. Some of the songs are meant as B-sides. In those days, the B-side was kind of a throwaway. That was the difference. Before going to break, I want to remind you, BizarreAlbums.com, go to the store for some Bizarre Albums merch. Check it out. In 1967, Morrison came back to America to promote his next single, Row, Row, Rosie. It's nice to have you with us today. How old are you, sir? 22. Do you ever have any spare time to yourself? Uh, not much. Not, not what, what do you do when you have a moment off to your work? No, I kind of just uh, walk about, uh, you know, parts of cities and, and the rain and things like that. 
You compose in your spare time? Yeah. Did you write this next song? Yeah, I wrote this next one, yeah. Let's try it on for size, all right? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Van Morrison. Bang was managing Morrison at the time, and Morrison was hoping to be playing more gigs while in America, but it was unsuccessful. And what Morrison didn't know, he was in America without a work permit. This would only worsen his relationship with Bang. The following is Van Morrison from the documentary Bang, the Burt Burns story. Had a big office and he had like loads of people and uh, it was difficult even to get any time with Burt at that time. There was always like 10 people around. I didn't know who the hell they were. I mean, they didn't seem to be music people. Those people were mobsters. Burns had befriended Tommy Eboli, a.k.a. Tommy Ryan, head of the Genovese mob. Burns' wife Eileen claims that when Burt Burns met Eboli, he didn't know he was the head of the mob. They were just friends. But it turned out, Burns liked hanging out with the mobsters. Burns had a lot going on at this point in his life. Bang Records was a success. He and Eileen had a baby on the way. He was building a new house for his family. And he was stressed. He had an existing heart condition from his childhood, and he needed to stay calm. Neil Diamond was Bang Records' biggest star. Burns released Kentucky Woman as a single in October of 1967, but Diamond strongly objected, wanting Shiloh to be his next single. The two met, argued, and Diamond asked to be released. He sued Bang Records and never recorded with them again. Burns didn't take any of this well and got his friend Tommy Eboli involved, resulting in Diamond literally fearing for his life. After this, Burns and Morrison had further disagreements, worsening Burns' stress level. Then... On December 30th, 1967, Burt Burns died of a heart attack in his New York City apartment. He was just 38 years old. What did this mean for the future of Van Morrison and Bang Records? Here's more from Ryan H. Walsh. Van and his new American girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, Janet Planet, they are freaked out. All of a sudden, without Burns there, the people in charge of the label are mobsters. And when he died, they were like, okay, now we're in charge of this record label. So there was this guy named Carmine Wassel de Noya, who was literally in charge of Van Morrison for a number of months. And uh, he, he put bullet holes in their hotel door. He smashed a guitar over Van's head. Wassel scared the bejesus out of Van and Janet. And they basically fled to Boston to lay low. During this time in Boston, Joe Smith of Warner Brothers Records had come to see Morrison and was blown away. He wanted to sign him, but he knew Morrison was still under contract with Bang Records, which was now under mob control. Once again, here's more from Ryan H. Walsh. This is also great because it involves comedian Don Rickles. (laughs) (laughs) And Don Rickles manager was Joe Scandori. And Joe was just, he was connected. He at least knew how to do this. And Joe was like, I want to, I want to release Van from his Bang Records contract, which is mobbed up. How do I do it? And Don Rickles manager said, I will help you. And so the way Joe Smith has told it to me and other interviewers is that he put $20,000 cash in a sack and went to an abandoned warehouse in Manhattan and went up like four or five flights of stairs, empty floor, and there were two guys in pinstripe suits, and he <laughs> dropped the sack of cash in front of them. They handed Joe a piece of paper, and that's how Van Morrison was signed to Warner Brothers. <laughs> in the fall of 1968, Van Morrison records his debut for Warner Brothers, Astral Weeks. It's a mix of classical, folk, and jazz, and was a huge departure from the poppiness of Brown Eyed Girl, and initially it sold poorly. Over the years... 
Appreciation for the record has grown, and many critics have called it one of rock and roll's greatest records. Even though Van was now free from Bang Records, in a very sketchy way, the contract still contained lots of legal language. Burns' widow Eileen had not been shy about blaming her husband's death partially on his troubled relationship with Morrison. She tells Morrison that as part of his contract with Bang, he still owes the label 32 songs. As a result of this, Morrison goes into the studio to record what has been given many names over the years. The contractual obligation sessions, the revenge recordings even getting a semi-proper release under the name Pay and Dues in 1994. These recordings had been passed around for years. Uh, any, any clue on how, because I know for years, I know it got officially released a few years oh, ago, yeah. but any clue on the, the bootlegs that had been released over the years, any word on like how those came to be? That's a great question. Um, I know, here's what I know. I know that it was done in New York City probably in the winter or spring of 68, Tom, his Boston, Tom Kilbanya, his Boston bass player, watched him do it. It was, it was basically an uninterrupted hour. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, here's Shake and Twist. Here's, the, here's Ringworm. He, like, no thought, no, no pre-planning, no, <laughs> no pausing. T- no tuning. <laughs> no tuning, yes. The guitar <laughs> sounds like uh, a Jandek record or something. <laughs> and so, um, and we also know that they were turned into Bang Records and Eileen was upset and was like, who would, who would do this? (laughs) And, but also didn't never pursued it. So maybe they, Eileen or bang records said, well, maybe we could make some money off this as a bootleg or the engineer was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I have to slip this out or perhaps van did it himself that we don't know, but yeah, it was just passed around online for a long time. But you know, it's crazy that now it's on official releases that have like Man Morrison liner notes. The yeah. fact that he even acknowledged acknowledges these as real is kind of hilarious to me. On April twenty eighth, two thousand and seventeen, Legacy Recordings released Van Morrison, the authorized Bang Collection. This is actually a three disc set. Disc one is the original masters. Disc two, Bang Sessions and Rarities. But this is bizarre albums after all. So I'm only going to focus on disc three, which here is dubbed Contractual Obligation Session in its first official release. Morrison recorded about an hour's worth of nonsense songs, making them all up on the spot, complete with an out-of-tune guitar. His anger toward both Bert and Eileen Burns is very clear in these recordings. Right out of the gate, mocking Twist and Shout. The first five songs are Twist and Shake, Shake and Roll, Stomp and Scream, Scream and Holler, and Jump and Thump. Jump and thump Move your helm Jump and thump Move your helm Jump and thump Move your helm After a few more short nonsense songs, on track eight we get the first mention of George, who will come up several more times. It's unclear exactly who George is, The interesting part is Morrison's real name is George Ivan Morrison. George Hold On seems to be poking fun at another Burns original, Hang On Sloopy. Hold on, George. 
George, hold on. Hold on, George. But the George he attributes in these revenge songs mostly seems to be this other producer. Okay, so this is interesting. Most of the official releases of these nonsense recordings say it's in 67. But um, there's just no way that happened because Bert didn't die till late 67. And these lyrics mention Boston. He doesn't arrive in Boston till early 68. Yeah, there's lyrics where he's singing about like ridiculous auditions with pop producers he had in Boston. Like a Dum Dum George. And, uh, you know, like Van's guitarist at the time, John Sheldon, told me that Bang Records did send some bubblegum pop producer with an outdated Beatles mop top to, like, try and coax some hits out of them at one session. So this is a story about Dum Dum George. Who came up to Boston one sunny afternoon. from New York City and he was freaky the songs only become more strange and nonsensical as this goes on with titles like Blowing Your Nose hello um we've got a, we're, we put an album together and we're releasing it next week it's called Blowing Your Nose Got a psychedelic jacket. That's called. And ringworm. I can see by the look on your face that you've got ringworm. I'm very sorry, but I have to tell you that you've got ringworm. And here's another called. Want a Danish? You want a Danish? No, I just ate. I've just eaten. Do you want, like I want some bread up front. Oh, bread up front? You want a sandwich? I have a Danish. You want a sandwich? Plenty more shots are taken at Burns. He mocks the Blow In Your Mind album cover and title with Blow In Your Nose. He even mocks Burns' production style on several songs, most notably in 32, even mocking his own biggest hit, Brown Eyed Girl. I would do the shala, shala, do the shala, 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 do the, get the, get the, like that. I would do the shala, but, uh, We get we get sixteen guitars. Though his anger is apparent, it's clear he also finds this funny. Even laughing at himself on Chicky Koo.
As Ryan H. Walsh pointed out to me when we spoke, while these are incredibly strange and hilarious recordings, they're also incredibly mean-spirited. Burt Burns had only recently passed away, and here he is mocking him for the recordings that he was going to turn into Burns' widow. That would be the end of the relationship between Van Morrison and Bang Records. Van Morrison was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1993, and he's still recording and performing now, even releasing an album in October of 2019. Burt Burns was the subject of a 2016 documentary made by his son, Brett Burns, called Bang! The Burt Burns Story. That same year, he was also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Back in 1971, Eileen moved Bang's offices to Atlanta, Georgia. Bang was then sold to CBS Records in 1979, eventually being absorbed in 1982 by CBS's Columbia Records unit. Today, the Burns family still owns the publishing operations, and Sony Music owns the Bang Records catalog, which includes artists such as Van Morrison, Neil Diamond, and a fake group that was marketed as three brothers named Giles, Miles, and Niles Strange, who were raised on an Australian sheep farm, called The Strange Loves. But that is for another time. Before I wrap up, I need to say a huge thank you to Ryan H. Walsh for his incredibly valuable knowledge that he gave me on this episode. If you want more about Van Morrison from Ryan, check out his book Astral Weeks, A Secret History of 1968. Also, his band Hallelujah the Hills has a brand new record out called I'm You. It's available on Spotify and Apple Music, or just visit hallelujahthehills.com. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. <laughs>